The crash site would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we create, the Yuggera and Turbal peoples. We also pay our respects to elders, past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. Always was and always will be Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's land. What is this? Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Today's guest is mask maker, theatre artist and creative polymath Jonathan Beck. He is a world-renowned creator, collaborator and educator with a wealth of experience in all aspects of theatrical performance and creative entrepreneurship. From studying in Paris, performing on stages around the world and working with clients such as Disney Theatrical, Focus Films and NBC, Jonathan is a true master of his craft. Launching theatre-mask.com in 1990 and the North American Laboratory of the Performing Arts in 2016, Jonathan has had a lasting impact on the lives of thousands of performers and creators globally. Amongst the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic, Jonathan's entrepreneurial spirit and passion for his work has seen him relocate to a new studio as he works to rebuild his business. His persistence and commitment to his artistry is an inspiration and it is such a pleasure to have him on the podcast today. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to exploring all of this with you. Fantastic. Well, I thought a great spot to start would just be to learn a little bit more about how you first got into the theatre and um, how, what sort of drew you to masks as an art form? Um, boy, uh, that's a big question. Um, Theater is really something that uh, I have always uh, been engaged in since I was such a tiny little kid. Uh, I never actually thought of anything else. Uh, it was always a serious thing for me. Uh, it wasn't a game. It wasn't, um, it wasn't like something that I wanted to explore because it was socially fun. It was really always uh, an intriguing place to explore artistry as well as explore myself. Um, I, I took it really seriously, probably too seriously from a, a young age. I remember actually uh, in fourth grade, um, a bunch of kids came together and we were like, oh, let's make a play. And I was so serious about it, everybody else quit. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, um, but it's always, it's always really been a thing for me. Uh, I'm not sure why. Um, uh, so it's been a, a very long, long journey. Yeah, and, and so sort of I'd read online that you sort of came across a mask workshop when you were in New York as, as when you were younger, and then that inspired you to go study in, in France and to learn about mask, mask work? Yeah, the, the mask thing, um, the mask thing really began... Um, I guess it began there. It began, I, I was, when I was a kid, I was really interested in physical theater. Um, I don't know how many of the listeners will know who Marcel Marceau is. Uh, he was a, uh, a pantomime uh, who became famous worldwide uh, in the 70s and 80s. And uh, I used to beg my parents to go uh, see him when he came through on tour. And I suppose that may have been the beginning of the mask work because it was physical theater. Um, it was no text, um, telling stories through movement. Uh, and then through that, 
I became super interested in circus skills and uh, physical performance and started attending these workshops in the summertime, uh, which was uh, a group called the National Clown Mime Dance Puppet Ministry. And I, I, I was probably 14 maybe, uh, attending one of these uh, summer conferences at a small college in the United States and was walking back to my dorm room uh, through a lobby. And uh, there was one of the teachers uh, there who was giving a little seminar about neutral mask. And as I walked past, uh, I was interested in what he was doing. So I sat down and he had a, a leather neutral mask um, and he talked a little bit about it and then he put the mask on. And at that moment, the, the fabric of the air seemed to change. Um, it became quiet and still in a way that I had never really experienced. And then he tilted the mask just a little tiny bit with his head and the whole world changed. Uh, it was really something that was incredibly compelling. And that evening I saw him perform and I can, I still remember that performance almost moment by moment. And that was, you know, ages ago, uh, more than 40 years ago at this point. Um, and uh, he, he had done a school that uh, I then wanted to go and study at. I was like, I want to go learn what that guy knows. Um, and so uh, in college, I, you know, continued that physical theater thing. I started as a dancer, uh, uh, modern ballet, uh, and then sort of discovered really what I was doing was physical comedy. So I switched out of dance into the theater. And when I graduated from college, I went straight to the Lecoq School um, because that's where he had studied um, and did the conservatory there in Paris for two years. Um, and that's, that's really where the mask work came into play. I, you know, as an undergrad, I did make a couple of masks um, uh, as part of my independent study. I wrote, directed, produced, and toured a, a, a piece on physical theater and physical performance as a senior uh, undergraduate, um, uh, which was an extension of the internship that I did in New York City, where I also met this guy again after all those years, because uh, he was teaching a workshop and his show actually was running off Broadway at the time. Um, and so that really led me to the Lecoq School, which is where the, the mask work really solidified. The whole first year of the conservatory is spent under masks, um, learning the principles of performance, learning uh, the, the principles that guide really all art forms. It was there that I really began to understand things and the masks became uh, a really significant teacher for me and a guide. Um, actually, in that first year, you have to make a mask. And uh, the, the directions are go make a mask. That's, that's really all you get. Uh, and, and, uh, and bring it back in a week because we're going to use it in class. So, you know, I went out, I made my mask and uh, brought it back to school. And uh, the mask was really an unmitigated failure. It didn't play. It had no, ex it wasn't expressive form. It, 
it was a dead form, it didn't play. Um, it was uh, an expression mask, I guess is what we could have called it. Uh, so it was frozen in time. Um, it was actually pretty reflective of kind of where I was in my life at the time. And because it was such a failure, um, and on top of that, you had to use it for the next two weeks in the improvisation classes and in the creative classes and in the movement analysis classes. And uh, my mask didn't work. And also it was during a period of time when decisions were being made about who gets to do the second year of a conservatory and who doesn't. And because my mask didn't work, people didn't really want to work with me because clearly there was something wrong with me if my mask didn't work. Um, and so it was really, it was really a devastating period of time. It, it felt like the greatest failure that I had ever had as a student at anything. And that defined really what I became as an artist. Uh, all these years later, um, every time I step in front of a sculpture stand, I'm still reaching to solve the problems of that mask. Every time I'm sitting in front of a student trying to help them through uh, the process of learning, I'm solving the problem of that mask. Uh, and so it really became uh, a definitive moment. My, my, my comment is always fail a lot and fail as big as you can because it's super informative. <laughs> At least it was for me. It felt terrible, but it really, you know, it became definitive in a way. It was odd. Yeah. So that's really where the masks started. Yeah, well, it's, it's really interesting. It, uh, there's so many spots I sort of want to take it from here, but I, I want to hone in on this, this idea of failure because I feel like this is one of the things for a lot of young creatives. There is a lot of fear of failure when you're just starting out and you're trying to sort of develop uh, your artistry and figure out what you want to do. And I think a lot of the time it's, it's very easy to hold yourself to incredibly high standards. And then when you don't meet those, you, you sort of shy away from those failures. But I really love that idea of, of failing boldly, failing often. And it's something that a lot of um, my mentors have sort of spoken to me about as well. I'm interested though, now sort of where you're at in your own career now, has that relationship with failure changed? And how do you curate failure into your everyday practice? Well, um, I, I would say in answer to the question, has it changed? Um, no, not really. And, and that's the interesting thing about it is no matter where you are in your process, you're always at the beginning of something new. I certainly have a lot more knowledge now than I had way back then. I have a lot more skill, I hope, than I had way back then. Every day is a new challenge. And I, you know, have been trying to avoid being captain of the clown patrol my whole life, but really it's just uh, an attack of clowns every day. The creative process is a mess. And it is, it is really being able to accept that you are always standing in the unknown. You, you, have to, you have to exist there. You have to exist in a place where you don't know anything because otherwise you're not moving forward. You're not creating something. Um, you're repeating. And certainly there's a lot of what we do that is repetition. Um, and we have to do that in order to hone our skills and to, and to get better. But we repeat in order to hone a skill rather than to try and you know, whatever, uh, accomplish whatever the latest trick is. You know, it's that improvisation of yes and. And, and you have to be willing to be just on the, on, just on the, 
the failure edge of success um, in order to keep moving. It's got to be a mess in order to clean it up. You, you have to have something to fix all the time um, in order for it to be spontaneous, in order for it to be inventive. And of course, the, the, the key to uh, the craft of acting is to spend hours rehearsing everything so that when you step into that moment, you forget everything that you've rehearsed and you're standing there in the unknown, rediscovering it as if it were brand new. It's that constant discovery. And that's the mask. The mask really is teaching you to discover. And then because it's a tool, it's a tool of performance, it's an instrument, it, it allows you to share those discoveries with an audience in a way that the audience is experiencing them through the mask itself. So it's their discovery because you're sharing it with them. You're giving it to them. You're saying, here, discover it like this. And, and, and the mask is, a, is, is the poetic instrument that's, a, that's taking them there. This idea of, and, and failure is sometimes a difficult word because it's not really a failure. Everything is like information. Life's a lot of work. You know, it's, and, and it's not meant to be easy. And this is, it's meant to be a struggle because otherwise we've got nothing to learn. I think the, the, the difficulty with our educational environment, and I know at least here in the United States, it, it's a disaster because it is purely about assessment rather than about learning. And in order to learn, you have to make mistakes. Otherwise, you're always just hovering in what it is that you already know. If when you approach something and you're doing it for the first time, you do it perfectly, well, then you don't need to ever do that. Like, don't do that. If, if you want to learn, then you have to approach something that you don't know anything about. And then when you start breaking it down, when you start trying to figure it out, it's going to be a mess. And the problem with the educational system is it penalizes you for the mistakes that you make while you're learning. And it, because it's math, it's a permanent it's permanent. You can't make up for it. Even if in the end you finally learn the lesson, you don't get 100%. You still get a D minus because you failed so much along the way, right? It doesn't turn into an A plus even if you learned. And, and this is the difficulty with the whole educational system. Um, it's why the arts are valuable, but unfortunately in the arts, you have to grade in the same way. Uh, this is one, this is like reason 335,000 why I stepped away from being a college professor because it's like, it's so broken. Um, and it's really difficult to, you know, work with the students and try to uh, mentor them through the difficulty of the learning process, challenge them constantly with, with, with inhabiting that place where you're, you, you, you can't succeed really, right? You have to put yourself there so that in the end, when you do succeed, you've got all that history, you're like, oh, okay, now I get why it is this way. And you're able to figure it out on your own then, rather than here's the answer. And now I don't have to think about it anymore, moving on next. And so then I've learned nothing, or I've not learned how to learn. And that's the, that's really the key. And I think the masks really, they help us with that because it's a relationship with an audience, with the outside, with the world outside you. And you're constant, it's an interpretive relationship that you're constantly moving through and you can feel when it's working and you can feel when it's not. And when it's not, it's really disturbing. And so it's, it's, it, it helps us to understand how to create experiences for others. And, and you can only do that if, if you're 
if if you're constantly on the edge of 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 falling into an abyss, um, and and I don't know how you how you impart that in today's world. Um, I just finished a book called The Coddling of the American Mind, which is a really, I think anybody who's a social activist uh, these days needs to read this book because it really, it talks about the culture of safetyism and how we've stopped challenging both ourselves with ideas and activities that put us outside of our comfort zone, uh, but also the instructors have stopped pushing students because um, it's not safe. Anything that challenges me isn't safe. And so I have to protect myself from all these things. And um, it's becoming a real obstacle in trying to really solve the problems that are in front of us, most especially solving the problems of us, which is why I do it. You know, I stick in the theater because it's that place where I have to be in order to be challenged with me in the way that I need that challenge to progress day to day. I've tried doing other things and I'm not bad at them. It's just that I don't have the challenge of me as much uh, in them. And so it, I get bored quickly. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's, there's so much there because it, I really resonate with that idea too of, of, and it's sort of one of the areas that I struggle with a lot with my own education journey too, is that also it puts you in strict boxes of how you need to uh, create something. You, you need to hit certain rubrics and it needs to resemble this or it needs to reflect the work that's been done before and you need to follow exam examples which have got good grades when in reality especially as young artists as we're kind of experimenting and we're exploring what we want to create there is so much more benefit in being able to actually push out of boxes and go what happens if i try something that doesn't even exist in a box it's a circle it's a it's it's a triangle it, it's something completely different um and i i think the challenge there though is how you sort of build the structures around that experimentation so that it's not, it doesn't become just uh, an unstructured, woeful, something that, that doesn't have an outcome. Um, I think for a lot of, you know, young people, especially for myself, sometimes you have a lot of big ideas and you're like, oh, this is cool, but I, I don't know the structure to execute on that. Um, but it, it does make me want to ask a little bit about, uh, for you, why do you think the mask is an incredible tool for an actor in this exploration of their relationship with the audience and their exploration of standing, you know, on, on the precipice of, of failure? Um, well, the mask is an extraordinary tool on so many levels. I guess from a mechanical level, uh, well, I'll start there because it's like starting with the musical instrument. The first thing that you have to understand is the mechanics before you can actually play. And you have to master those mechanics before you can play. And the mask is a powerful tool in the beginning of our understanding of acting because it reminds the actor constantly that what they're doing belongs to an audience. Lecoq always used to, he'd stop an exercise, he'd snort and stop an exercise. You always knew when he snorted that something was getting stopped very quickly. And uh, he'd stop and he'd, he, there'd be this moment of silence. And then he would say, that felt good, didn't it? Question mark. And the actors would be like, oh yeah, 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 that felt, that felt pretty great. And Lecoq was like, yeah, but what about us? What about us, the audience? How do we feel? 
And, and what he's getting at there is that the, the way in which acting is often taught is it comes from uh, an emotional point of view first, that acting is about feeling. And, and I think that this comes about for many reasons, um, horrible translations of Stanislavski's uh, work that we based here in the United States, our actor training program on so long ago, and I have a very difficult time getting away from. But I, I think it, it, it's based on the fact that when we go to experience a performance uh, of some sort, we feel. And, and so then we're like, ooh, that makes me feel so great. And now I want to give that to other people. So I get up on stage and I start feeling. Except that it's not about my feelings. It's about the audience feelings. I forgot I was an audience member, right? And the mask from a mechanical point of view is in order for the audience to actually be able to, to, to feel, to know what's going on in the play to action, the mask has to discover what's going on in, in the world. And then it has to share that discovery with an audience, right? From a mechanical point of view, the audience has to be able to see the mask in order for them to know what it's thinking, what it's experiencing and what it's feeling. They have to be able to see the thoughts travel through the body underneath the mask, go through the mask and then extend into the space, right? And so from a mechanical point of view, there's all this understanding of how to share discovery. And it's not like a formula. Um, we, we actually do that from a cognitive point of view. When I see something, I see it, I, I discover it, I have a thought about that discovery, which leads to another discovery, which leads to some action, which then leads to some more thought, which leads to discovery, which, and so on and so forth, right? That's, that's the, the, the synaptic sequencing that happens for us in our daily lives uh, from an organic, actual scientific point of view. And so from, from an acting point of view, those mechanics have to be present in like a score of physical action, for example, um, the action that we play and how we play it and how that's played in this. And it's as intricate and as complicated and as uh, difficult to master as playing the violin, right? Or the bagpipes. And, and both of those instruments when they're not played well, or when they're in their beginning phases, it's really hard to sit and listen to somebody learn how to play them. And I think, you know, and, and of course, unfortunately, uh, bad acting isn't as recognizable by the lay audience as we would like it to be, just because most of it is so mediocre, we've just come to accept it as such. Um, and that for us is okay, it's good. Um, and, and so the, the higher level, we do recognize it when it happens and we are hit by it with a force, but we don't understand what's behind that, why it's working that way. Um, and the mask is really helping us to break down those mechanics uh, so that we understand what are the notes that an actor plays, like it's easy for, because when you're a musician, there's like music theory and you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. But for the actor, like, what is it? Because what, what, what we're doing is mechanical, it's intellectual, it's emotional, uh, there's psychological elements to it, um, it's physical uh, and it's spiritual. And so all of those things are coming together in, uh, in a moment and we have to be able to break it down so that 
um, we understand, because you can't play all those notes at once, otherwise it's, it's just noise. And, and what the mask does is it, 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 it teaches us how to sequence it. So you're only playing one note at a time. You, you, can't, you can't think, speak, have action, and breathe all at the same time. You have to break it down. And the mask is, because the audience has to be able to follow the thoughts. They have to be able to follow the actions. They have to be able to follow the text, right? Which is an extension of action. Um, uh, uh, and, and so it's, it, 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 it's teaching us how to manage that. Like, what are the notes? What, what are those? So from a mechanical point of view, it's super important. And it's also a tool that reminds us the actor's role in the storytelling. Because the actor is always present in the, in the process and the character is also always present in the process. Um, they're both there all the time. I, I can't become my character. That would be mental illness. And it would also be hugely problematic because as the actor, I have to be making tons of decisions uh, at every moment for the character. And I know a whole bunch of stuff that the character doesn't know. And the character can never know what I know. Otherwise, it comes across false to the audience. Lady M doesn't know that she wants, that she's going to go insane. We know that because we've read the play. In the beginning, she just wants to be queen and she wants it so badly that she drives herself insane uh, through the process. It doesn't start that way. And yet the actor is often in the very beginning playing some crazy woman uh, rather than a woman with tremendous ambition who wants to be queen but her husband isn't king yet. So she has to convince him to kill the king so that she can be queen. And so unrolls this tragic play. So we have the mechanics and then we have the mask itself. We, we talked about, I talked about this sharing of discovery. There's also perspective, right? So if we go back to the, the fact that the actor is present and the character is present, in the mask, I'm seeing the world from a singular perspective, right? This mask that I have, right? Not another one, but this one, the character mask, right? And in, when we pick up a script, if we're doing text-based work, the character is defined for us um, by the playwright. There's a time period, there's a class structure, uh, there is um, the, the place in which the play takes place, the language, uh, there's the socioeconomic and political aspects of what's going on, the religious beliefs, all that kind of stuff. It's all intertwined and the character is this one thing. But the character is also me because I'm the actor playing it, right? So I pick up the mask, the character, which has a singular perspective, right? It is this rhythmic entity. Uh, and to simplify it, simplify it, we'll talk about the mask, a mask that is really singular. It's a mask that, is, uh, that lives almost exclusively in the aspects uh, or psychological state of fear, right? Um, so it, it is a mask that goes through the world, a character that's afraid of everything, right? And that's the basis of it. 
to play courage under this mask creates a really poetic juxtaposition because suddenly you see a strength and, and a, a determination to work through something that it will always be present no matter what, but I go ahead and do it anyway. I, I play courage under this mask of fear. And, and so that, that creates this, this opposition, but it, it also creates something that we all understand um, to have to be courageous in a moment when uh, really I just wanna run away. I can't do that, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna manage my way through it. And we all know people who go through life angry at everything. Uh, we all know people who go through life with a great deal of joy and, and anger on them almost looks foreign, but every now and again, you see it there in the background, it doesn't last very long, and then it fleets and it goes away, right? And, and so this singular perspective, this way of dealing with the world, um, I took a workshop once, uh, it was called, Who Do They See When They See You Coming? Um, and it was a workshop about perspective, that we are, um, our perspective is about the life experiences that we've had. So when I look into the world, I can only see it from the perspective of Jonathan, the life experiences, all the crap that's happened to me, all the great things that have happened to me, all the people I've met, all the languages I've learned to speak, all the places I've traveled, my family experiences. Um, my perspective of the world is based on that, right? And the wider the amount of experiences, perhaps the bigger perspective I, I have. Uh, they talk about it being a hut that you're, that you're walking around and all your life experiences are in this hut that you carry with you and you're looking out into the world from this hut through the windows. And, and this is a good descriptive of the mask. The mask is a rhythmic entity. It, uh, it is uh, a series of lines and planes that animate the negative space around it. Uh, so that it comes to life when, I, when I'm underneath it. And uh, those lines and planes are specific to one perspective, one experience, one past, right? And, and if we're talking about something that's like the mask of fear and jealousy, right? So we've sculpted into it all the lines and planes of fear and jealousy, the rhythmic life of that, the movement of it, so that when we put it on, the actor's going to find that anyway, if they're coming to the mask, right? Can't be my ideas about what the mask is. It must be the mask itself, right? The catch is I have to do it. So I have to find my fear and my jealousy. They have to be Jonathan's and they have to be true. Otherwise the mask dies. It becomes rigid. Um, it screams to the audience, liar, liar, pants on fire. You're such a bad actor, get off the stage. And the actor feels it underneath. You feel it fail. It's such a horrible, uh, feeling of emptiness. It's like a death. Um, and the audience feels it too. The audience sees it die. Um, that's why, that's why the, the actor feels it is because now there's nothing in that conversation. You're in a room full of people and totally alone. And, and, um, and, and so it, it helps the actor to understand how to create honesty because I have to support the mask 
uh, in order for it to come to life. And I have to do it honestly through my experiences. So I have to find Jonathan's fear. I have to find Jonathan's jealousy, right? But it's still going to be Jonathan. And because it's the mask of fear and jealousy, it has its counter mask in it, but it also doesn't have anything else in it. And, and so I, I can't, and of course, the more complex the mask, the more, you know, the more you can play anything under it. Um, it's just always in juxtaposition to what the mask actually is, because I can't be joyful all the time under the mask of, uh, of sorrow, because it, it can't be sustained because it's the mask of sorrow. I could be joyful all the time under the mask of joy, but that would be boring because nobody's joyful all the time. Um, and in the mask of joy is the counter mask anyway, because a line that comes down and forward also goes up and back. So both have to, both are playable and they have to be played with honesty and they have to be justified. Um, and if we're exploring that, then we, we find those things. And, and so the mask is helping us really to connect to our own honest uh, way of, of dealing with the world, but in a very specific, singular way. Because the mask, the lines in the mask, they have a beginning, a middle, and an end, just like a musical note. And they have to be played in time. And there's the mechanics of it. And, and, and so it, it, it becomes this, I don't know, it becomes this really maddening struggle of trying to figure out mechanics and then dealing with my own honesty and the, the fact that the actor has to be alive and I have to forget about mechanics, but really they're actually still there. Um, uh, it, it's funny because musicians, they never complain about mechanics. I mean, they might, you know, the piano player might, you know, every now and again complain a little bit about having to play scales, but not if they're a concert pianist, they don't, because they recognize the value of practicing those mechanics over and over and over again, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times throughout the years. They never stop. They never stop. And yet ask the actor to repeat something four times in a row. They're like, oh, I can't do that. It's, it's not organic. And it's interesting because, because acting of all the art forms, I think is one of the most difficult and the one of the most complex because I, we have such a hard time understanding it at, its, at, at all of its different levels. Great actors don't. They might not be able to articulate it, but, but they understand it and you can see through their work um, how detailed they are at all of those various things. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's so beautifully put that whole sort of picture that you've just painted and it, it it sort of so it sort of seems to me then that in a way the masks kind of give us a, a way of learning scales or practicing scales. They give us a way to access refined elements of our craft and give us a new way to sort of learn and, and approach that failure and that process. Would you would you say that's that's sort of a, a correct summation of, of at least that sort of last point that you're bringing up? Yeah, I, I think yeah. so. Yeah. And, and this comes directly out of my experience as a student at the Lecoq School. Um, the, the pedagogical uh, approach there is something called via negativa. Um, it is you're learning about what something is by understanding what it is not. You're, you're never really given an answer to anything. 
you're, you're, you're not being nurtured through it. Um, the critical feedback is that doesn't work. There's no point in going any further into something that's not working because trying to make it work later on down the line isn't possible it, it, because the foundation is corrupt and you can't build off a false foundation. Otherwise, everything else is false. And yet every now and again, something would succeed. And first of all, everybody in the room knew it, including the people on stage. But every now and again, you'd get from Lecoq uh, the phrase, c'est ça, that's it. And, and the interesting thing about live performance is that those moments of that's it, those that's it moments are as few and far, far between in actual real live performance and live theater as they were in conservatory when we were looking for those moments in front of our teachers. Um, it's just that when you're really, like when you're good at what you're doing, the audience just doesn't know that everything is like going wrong because you're exploiting your mistakes, making them into successes as you go along. Every mistake that happens, you, you spin it into a successful moment. You justify it. You're constantly spinning it into success. And, and, and as a result, the audience is like, well, you're amazing. And inside you're like, oh my gosh, this whole thing is going to fall apart in a minute. And, and you get to the end and then everybody's like, woohoo, yay, brilliant. And you're like, oh my God, I'm so glad the set didn't fall over. Um, and and it's, it, it, is, uh, it is really that exploitation of the mistake. So you have to make it. Um, you have to hang out in it. And, and uh, I, I don't know how we, we begin. The, the English language has a really hard time with all of this. I think other languages are better with trying to figure that out. Um, because what, an actor, what actors do is they act. In French, they play. You know, an actor in English is an actor. And a, uh, an actor in French is a comedian. Um, uh, and in German, uh, a Schauspieler, uh, someone who shows their play. Um, and, and so it, it allows us, because when, when you play, I don't know, athletes, athletes it, it, they, they're concerned with errors, certainly. But every time they kick that ball, there's something to be improved there. Mm. Um, and uh, just because it didn't go you know, into the center of the goal, past the goalie. Doesn't mean that because it ricocheted three times and then hit his head and bounced in, doesn't mean that it wasn't a goal, right? It wasn't perfect, but it was success. Um, and, and I think, you know, these days in the middle of this pandemic, uh, I was gonna give it a, an expletive, but I, I won't. Because um, <laughs> I don't know your audience. Um, uh, the challenges that each day brings up, um, the fact that any of us in, in the artistic community are surviving this is a real testament to an understanding that everything is a process, um, that everything's a journey and that you have to constantly be fixing what's broken. Doesn't mean that we're not kicking and screaming as we go along. You're so right, and um, feel free to use as many um, swear words, say whatever you want. It's totally fine. Um, we've got a creative audience. I think they're open to the breadth of, uh, of the English language. 
what really sort of interests me there and and in, from my perspective sort of taking some wisdom from what you just said is i think that success and failure are, are such weighted words um in in our society and they're sort of pinned against each other of being antithesis of one another but the reality is failure and success are, are one and the same in terms of being discovery and being play and especially in as an actor and, and as a creative you know they both contribute to your ability to discover and to play and explore and experiment and and i think if at least for, for me taken away from that from what you just said is i'm going oh if i can actually reframe my relationship with failure and success as being a relationship with discovery that that is is actually quite empowering and that allows me to get rid of negative and positive on my work but my work is being a process in and of itself exactly what you're speaking about but it feels like a, a an interesting point to maybe segue to sort of another topic and looking at at these are incredibly difficult times and especially you know around the world for creators who are trying to make a living but also explore their craft and continue their own personal process um but I wanted to sort of start that conversation around the idea of opportunities. And I was watching a, a documentary that someone made on you um, that was on your website. And, and you spoke quite a lot about the idea of creating opportunities. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit more on that about throughout your career. And, you know, as you're looking towards the future, how do you go about your relationship with opportunities and this idea of creating opportunities for yourself? I've created a lot, of, a lot of opportunity for myself along the way, um, in part because I'm, I'm interested in everything. Uh, you know, the, this, this craft of theater is so vast. Um, and, uh, and I really, you know, I've worked as an actor, I've worked as a, a, a director, I've worked as a creator of new works. Um, I spent some time working as a, a, a rigger and an electrician. Um, I've worked as a stage carpenter and as a properties master. Uh, I run a production shop um, making masks and shipping them all over the world. Um, uh, I, I'm a musician. Um, I play flutes. I studied voice for years. Um, you know, as, as an instructor, I got super like interested in anatomy and physiology and exercise science and injury prevention and all that stuff because I'm a physical performer and I, you know, thought I was indestructible in my 20s and destroyed my spine. So, um, uh, you know, and, and had to teach a lot of stuff to my students to help them and the corrective alignment and all that kind of stuff. And I just, I'm interested in everything. And, uh, and, and I want to put my hands in it and I want to understand it. And of course, one of the problems with that is that you know, then you're like going in like thousands of directions at once and it's hard to focus on anything. Uh, my command at the school, actually, the phrase that I was given by Lecoq that I had to, that was definitive of, of my work that I had to create something on uh, at the end of the time there was um, on ne peut pas tout faire which is one can't do everything. You know, and I'm still saddled with that as a small business owner uh, now dealing with you know, not only having to make everything with my hands, but also like drive back and forth to Chicago. Yes, like on Tuesday, 14 hour round trip to pick up materials and get it here. And then yesterday go another five hours in both directions to get plaster. And then, you know, and, and uh, today, you know, sh 
packing everything up and shipping it out and coming back and making some more stuff and doing client correspondence and you know looking at the stack of receipts and invoices that have to be entered for the taxes of for all of 2019 because I've done none of that yet you know it's just like and then all the marketing and social media and like SEO and you know all that crazy stuff that really is more than a full-time job in and of itself um like it, the, the the breadth of it is is staggering and if you think about it too long you, you go insane so you just have to like do things one step at a time and you stay active. And when you get an idea, you act on it. Um, the, the, the founding of the, the North American Laboratory for the Performing Arts. So always wanted, uh, since I was a kid, all those discussions that we have with each other um, uh, as young artists and artists along the way of like, what will we do if? And uh, uh, we talk about you know, being able to create and live together and learn stuff together and like make new work and you know support you know and all that being like a thing and that would be our whole life and you know we're living in this utopia that had been a big conversation for me and thoughts for years and years and years and uh when i discovered this space in indiana um that actually afforded me the opportunity to do that um i jumped at it um, a, a friend of mine asked me at one point, he's like, yeah, people are always interested. How do you start something like that? And I'm like, well, I don't understand the question. What do you mean? Like, you just do it. Like, you, you, you agree with the fact that that's what you want to do. And then you make it happen. Um, obviously, you have to think about some things, like, because that involved, like, financing a gigantic property. Um, uh, it was an old uh, Victorian mansion, uh, 11,000 square feet of, of space, um, uh, four stories of, you know, it was just nuts, like only crazy people do that by themselves. Um, and uh, so you, I don't know, you, you just do it. That, and you, you see the opportunity and you say yes to it. Um, when I was in school uh, in Paris, um, I needed money because, you know, one has to eat. So I uh, took my resume and I was walking all over Paris and going into restaurants and because I had worked as a waiter in the States and like handing them resumes. I'm like, I can wait tables. And uh, I had at one point like spent a weekend in a rib pit cooking ribs at the Cleveland rib burn off. Um, uh, and I had that on my resume. And uh, I walked into the American restaurant in Paris and they, they saw that I had cooking experience and they're like, oh, so you're a cook. And I'm like, mm, mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and they put their menu down on the table and they're like, can you cook our menu? And I, I looked at it for a little while, like staring ahead and I'm like, I, I, I don't even know what's on this menu. I'm like, I said, yes, I can. Um, and uh, I worked as the cook in that restaurant for a year. Um, uh, sole guy in the kitchen for 200 table, 200 tops a, a, a night. Um, and uh, uh, I had to make a long distance phone call to my mother to be like, okay, how do you cook this? And how do you cook that? Um, uh, but you say yes, you, you say yes. And you, um, and then you figure it out as you go along. You know, we're actors. So you just act like you know how to do it. And if you're good at that, people are like, oh, you he knows how to do that. Why is it so terrible right now? He looks like he knows how, what he's doing. And you just keep, like, you just keep at it until it works. And that's, you know, I, I sometimes have to remind myself that on the day to day, 
these days with this the pandemic is I have to act like I can like I know what I'm doing and I can get that done. Um, when opportunities come down the road, um, they come down because you're constantly being active. You're constantly putting yourself out there. Uh, you act on the ideas that you have. Um, you don't hesitate, uh, even if they're crazy. I, I have a really good friend who I often ask questions to, and he'll often, you know, he's super smart, like he's brilliant. And he asked me the other day, because uh, I'm part of the new website that I'm developing for, for the business, um, has a, a proprietary social media platform in it, because uh, I want to create a place where artists can come and like share and exchange and do stuff together and post their blogs and their podcasts and all that kind of stuff um, in a place that doesn't have all the fucking noise that Facebook has. Um, so I, I can log in and I can talk with my artist friends, but I don't have to deal with my newsfeed and I don't have to look at all the stupid advertising. And um, uh, I, can, I can focus on what lifts me up and makes me feel uh, joyful in the world rather than all this other noise that really is constantly pulling me down. His question to me was, because he thinks about stuff in a business way. So he's like, well, what problem does that solve? And I was like, what problem does it solve? I don't know. I want to do it. That's the first thing that comes up. It's, it's an idea I have, and it's a good idea, so I'm going to do it. Um, it might not really work out. Uh, I, you know, in the end, I might not be able to get enough people to participate in it to make it a worthwhile thing, but I'm certainly going to give it a try and see what happens. I think everything that we try leads someplace. It might not lead us in a place that we want to go um, in the end, but it takes us someplace, and along that path, we find things of value. Everything that I do in my studio is really a combination of all the opportunities that I've had in my life. Um, I worked for a while on an assembly line uh, making electronic parts. I could do a thousand of those parts in a day. Uh, that was a terrible job. And yet, understanding how, the, how something like that works from an efficient point of view and how to set things up and to make that work. I was successful in the kitchen as that cook because I knew how to like, okay, well, I can't waste any time. Not a single movement has to be wasted or I'm not gonna be able to get all these, this stuff cooked. And it's how I'm managing the studio now with no employees because I used to have three. I get slammed with work. People still need their product when they need it. I have to be really efficient in the way that I set up my systems. And, and that came out of doing that work. And the people who worked there were, you know, they were beautiful human beings, all who had dreams and stories about their lives. And, you know, they were just, I, I, it was interesting because we get so focused sometimes in our work as artists that we forget how beautiful humanity is. And that if we really want to speak to them through what we do, we have to, um, constantly be reminding ourselves of that through creating opportunities where we can. Uh, one of the things about the property in Indiana was that I was able to bring thousands of people together for all kinds of events in the five years that I had that space um, to share with each other and to be in a space that lifted them up and to exchange ideas and to, to, to create together. And, and um, I think that's really the key. And it wasn't just about uh, the artistic community, it was about the whole community, um, holding political events, um, housing the Bernie Sanders campaign, uh, 
who's now gifted us with one of the greatest hilarious meme things yeah. that's happening on the internet. <laughs> I love that. Um, uh, and and so it's uh, it, it, we the, this idea of opportunity. I think what what we fool ourselves with, or something that some of the things that we have problems with, especially I think much younger people, is that making opportunities for ourselves is a, a shit ton of work. Um, and, uh, and most of it isn't joyful work. It, it, it's really the dredge and it's really hauling ourselves out of bed in the morning sometimes when we just can't get out of bed and getting our butts to work and, and, and realizing that everything that we do is formative and that it's leading us someplace. Every person that we meet and interact with um, is leading us someplace. Uh, you know, there was a whole there were 20 years of my life in which there wasn't a single job that came down the road in terms of my work as a performer that wasn't based on the people that I knew and had met along the way. I didn't have to go to auditions. People would call me up, hey, Jonathan. Why don't you come try this thing out and see if we want to work together? And so that's what we would do. Um, and and uh, it, it really, you, you have to say yes to everything. Even sometimes when, the, like the studio space that I have right now, when I had to leave Indiana, when I had to give up that property and sell it, um, uh, I had a certain amount of money that I was convinced I wasn't gonna spend anything more. And I, I had to buy property outright. I couldn't finance it because I didn't have an income and no bank lends money to people who don't have incomes. That's stupid. Uh, so I had to find a place to, that I could afford to pay cash for um, based on the sale of the property and then whatever other money I had saved. And so I started looking in four different states uh, for property because of you know various people and, um, and things were not going well. And I had preconceived ideas of what it was that I thought I should be looking for. And finally, I, 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 I decided I had to say yes to everything that was being proposed to me and go look at it and explore it. And my brother's uh, mother-in-law, a retired real estate agent was sending me like four listings a day. And most of them I was like, man, I can't, but I'm gonna go look at them because she's sending them to me. Um, and then she sent me this one, which she actually did some research on because the, this, this property comes with an artist studio, fully moving ready, heated, running water. Like it's an actual studio an artist built. Um, and it wasn't in the real estate listing. She just saw like a picture that looked like something. So she called and did some research and it was out of my price range. And I said yes and came and looked and walked out the door and made an offer in the parking lot, in the, in the, in the street, um, because it was the only place that I looked at that was possible in terms of actual creative space, which was the most important part of it, not the house. Came with a really nice house. That was the price thing. But I managed to figure out how to make those finances work. And now I have a place where I can actually maybe make a future for myself again. I can ride this time out 
and deal with the ups and downs of sometimes income, mostly none, and kind of make something happen now because I was able to say yes. Yeah, the journey of yes is sometimes hard because sometimes we say yes to things that we, we probably shouldn't have and it hurts a lot, but it's information and it leads us somewhere. Yeah, it, it, it opens us up to discovery, you know, to be, to, to right. take on that next step and, and see what happens. And I think, you know, in a way, tying back everything we've been speaking about, it comes back to that idea of when you stand on a precipice, are you going to say yes and, and jump off and build a parachute on the way down? Or are you going to go backwards and try and look for other things to build the staircase? And, and I think the most exciting things and the, the spaces where there are that is there is that discovery is by saying yes and jumping off and building that parachute as you make the way down and, and saying that you know how to cook that menu when you don't and you know and, and figuring stuff out when you just have to do it because that's the that's almost part of being an artist and being a creative person is you've got to you know act your way through it. <laughs>